welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, the Christmas Eve edition of the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast. The podcast where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture, where anything is fair game to talk about, whether it is TV, movies, music, video games, sports, it's all fair game here. And let's get into the topics of this week. Since it is Christmas Eve and there's not a lot going on, I thought I'd spend some time this week just going over and ranking my favorite Christmas songs, because why not? Might as well do something kind of fun for a Christmas Eve edition. Along with that, we got a couple other things to talk about. Not much going on this week, so let's just roll right into it. Alright, it is almost time for Wonder Woman 1984 to launch on its premiere on Christmas Day. It's going to be in theaters, and again, as I talked about previously on a podcast, that it's going to be available on HBO Max. It is going to be available for 31 days on HBO Max. It will be up there for a month, and then it will disappear. So you have access to this for one month. I'm looking at the HBO Max app right now, and they have put up more information, including they have put up the opening scene. If you want to see the opening scene, if you're somehow listening to this right before you know, the launch actually goes live on HBO Max. They have the opening scene up there, and they have also clued it in on when it is going to start, which is Christmas Day, December 25th, and it is going to start at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, which will be 11 a.m. local time for me. So I have not seen the other Wonder Woman movie, so I'm going to do a back-to-back viewing here pretty shortly. I want to get the first one watched where I can get ready to watch the second one. So that is going to be something that I do over the next few days is check out 1984, but I'm also going to check out the very first one and see how that one was. I've heard great things about it. I've wanted to see it forever. It's one of those movies that I have just yet to get to, to want to see, including several others that are on my list of things to watch. On HBO Max, my list is pretty big on HBO Max of movies and TV shows I need to get caught up on. So once again, starts Christmas Day at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on HBO Max. So in your search for video game consoles this winter, did you strike out trying to get a PlayStation 5? Were you able to track down that really awesome Nintendo Switch bundle that happened with uh, Mario Kart? Did you strike out on both of them? Did you get one of them? Did you get anything? If not, I've got something that is even better, and it will keep your chicken warm. What? (laughs) What am I talking about? I'm not kidding. KFC has introduced that they are producing a video game console along with Cooler Master. It is called the KFC console. Yeah. <laughs> That's That was pretty much my reaction too. I uh, saw this on the news a while ago and I looked it up saying, is that real? It's real. Here it is. I'm on their website. If you would like to follow along with me, you can check out their website. This is where it is. It is at landing.coolermaster.com slash kfconsole. That is landing.coolermaster.com slash kfconsole. 
console. This thing looks like, I don't really know how to describe this. It kind of looks like a, like a really mini grill. Like the top of it kind of looks like a grill. Here is the thing with it. It's supposedly you can play your video games on this thing and it has a chamber inside of it to where you can store your chicken to keep it warm. It's not something that cooks your chicken. I've looked this up. It just keeps it warm. Yes. <laughs> so let's look at this. I'm going to scroll through their website here. Introducing the KFC console. Power your hunger. Forged from the fires of the KFC ovens and built by Cooler Master from the ground up, there has never been a tastier way to experience the latest titles in stunning 4K 240 frames per second. The world's first built-in chicken chamber. Never risk letting your chicken go cold again thanks to the patented chicken chamber. Utilizing the system's natural heat and airflow system, you can now focus on your gameplay and enjoy hot, crispy chicken between rounds. Built and designed by Cooler Master. At Cooler Master, we're wired different. We go way beyond the outside of the box to deliver cutting-edge performance with a touch of class. Our expert mod team, led by the legendary Swedish craftsman Tom Tempele, Tempele set about building this awesome beast, and boy, did he deliver. So, let's see. Housed in a custom Cooler Master NC100 chassis, we needed something small but mighty, and that's what we got. At the heart of the beast of a, at this beast of a machine is the Intel NUC9 Extreme Compute Element, keeping space down and driving performance that mere mortals could only dream of. Discover a level of gameplay you didn't know possible with Asus powered graphics that runs buttery smooth <laughs> keeping keeping frame drop a thing of the past with the first of its kind hot swappable gpu slot the kfc console will stay the most powerful console for generations to come never run out of space for games unleash the performance of oh here comes some Technology stuff I don't understand. PCIe NVMe speeds that are six times faster. Boot games up in seconds and instantly access data while loading games. We've taken your data to the next level of performance, reliability, and efficiency with two Seagate Barracuda one terabyte SSD. Whew. My experience with Seagates has not been very pleasant, so <laughs> I don't know about that they i have not had very good turnaround i've had two seagate hard drives bite the dust for me uh vr ready so you get on your feet and enjoy the world of virtual reality while the smell of fresh chicken captures your senses ray tracing rays of light individually simulated creating true to life shadows and reflections that will immerse you in selected games more than ever before and 240 frames per second with up to 240 HZ output. Enjoy smooth and fluid high frame rate gameplay at up to 240 frames per second for all games with support for 240 HZ output on 4K displays. 
4K TV gaming. Enjoy your favorite games in finger-clicking good 4K quality on supported devices. That is everything that is on their webpage. So, KFC is really jumping out there in 2020. We had, so we had the KFC, we've got the KFC console here. We also had the random moment lately to where they apparently decided to do a KFC movie that just randomly starred Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. Like, that, that popped up on my social media the next day. And I saw I saw the picture, and I'm like, why Why is Mario Lopez in a Colonel Sanders outfit? It's like I was, I was just completely confused. I'm like, what What's going on? I, I didn't understand what was going on. So we had that, and now we've got the KFC console. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but chicken is like one of the probably the nastiest, greasiest foods that you could eat while playing video games. Could you imagine, like, just the grease and disgust that you're going to get on your controllers playing video games with this thing? So this is, this is very interesting. So... Yeah, this thing is legit. I mean, I mean, this thing, there was a tease of it apparently earlier in the year. I did not see this at all, uh, that they apparently teased it. And I think people thought they were kidding. And there is a, they've put out a teaser video of this thing to show it complete with like, just like epic, like Apple level <laughs> music and and uh, video shots and camera angles and all that. So, yeah. When I saw this, I was like, oh, on a week where I don't have much to talk about, the KFC console has just delivered me some content. Maybe this thing's awesome. I, I don't know. Maybe it's awesome. It's very random. So, the next time Bowser <laughs> demolishes you in a game... And you need a break for a second, and you just decide you want to take a bite of your KFC chicken, get this console. Just get it and, you know, pull it out of its uh, chamber. And there you go. You have chicken at your mercy to eat whenever you want to eat it while you video game. So since it's kind of a light news week, it's kind of a light TV week and movies and everything, there's really not much going on as uh, Christmas has kind of settled in and not a, not a lot of things to discuss. So I decided I was going to rank my favorite Christmas songs of all time. And also, not along, well, also along with that, I'm going to... I decided to research a little bit and learn some things about some of these songs that I did not know, courtesy of Wikipedia, and thought I would go over my list and we'll learn some things about these songs as we go. I thought that would be kind of fun. Uh, disclaimer on this list of songs, I went from 2000 back. There's nothing newer on this list, newer than 2000. 
Because I was just like, there's so much stuff out there now. Like, there's just so many Christmas albums out there now that it, I think it would just be hard to do it now. So I'm sticking with more like the classic old school Christmas stuff. And keep in mind, it's like, this is just favorites list. It's like, this isn't like, these are the best Christmas songs ever and the rest of these stink. You know, it's nothing like that. It's just going to be just my favorite Christmas songs. And keep in mind, this list could jump up and down, you know, depending on the year, depending on what I've heard more or less lately. There's some of these songs, like there's one song in here that I've got ranked pretty low probably lower than a lot of people would and it's just mostly because I'm tired of it <laughs> you know just because well, I'm not tired of it. well I'm kind of tired of it but you just hear it so much so we are gonna go right along here and I'm gonna rank 15 15 of my favorite Christmas songs and we're gonna start from 15 and work our way up so let's start at number 15. We're going to go with a classic here. I'm going with It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Andy Williams. Uh, you hear this song a lot in a lot of different video packages and commercials and movies. and it's There's probably just no telling how many times this song has been used. I mean, commercials, you know. So It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year was written in 1963, recorded and released that year by pop singer Andy Williams for his first Christmas album, the Andy Williams Christmas Album. The song was not released as a promotional singer single, let me say that again, not released as a promotional single by Williams' record label, Columbia Records, that year. They instead decided to promote his cover of White Christmas as the official promo single from the album. Uh, although Williams recorded multiple other versions throughout his life, the original 1963 version remains the most popular and well-known. In researching a lot of these uh, songs that I've got in here, and some that you know got bumped off the list too, where I was trying to squeeze my 15, I noticed that there were a lot of these classic songs that had been re-recorded over the years by the same artists. They just did updated versions. And most of the time what I found is that it was the original that continued to have that staying power. I noticed that uh, not many of the re-recordings really took off. It seems like people just loved the originals and wanted to keep going. And this seems like this is the same way with this one. The 1963 version you know, remains the most popular and popular and well-known. And that's the one I hear everywhere is this one from 1963. So that one sits at number 15. Number 14, Sleigh Ride, going with classic Debbie Gibson here, bringing your 90s to you here with uh, 1992. I looked this up. There was not a lot of information on this song. It was 1992. It was on the A Very Special Christmas 2 which I do have that album, by the way. I do have that CD. So that is on there. I, I believe there was a video for this, if I remember right. Um, yeah, not a lot of information on this track. Just one of those fun Christmas songs. You know, I was a Debbie Gibson fan in the 80s. Uh, yeah, just a fun Christmas song. Putting it in there at number 14. 
Number 13, we're going to go classic here. We're going to go to the classic era with White Christmas by Bing Crosby. There was a lot of information on this song that I just uh, grabbed here from Wikipedia. Uh, White Christmas by Bing Crosby. The first public performance of this song was by him on his NBC radio show, The Craft Music Hall, on Christmas Day of 1941. It was a few weeks after the attack on Pearl Harbor. I was not aware that this song was, it went back to the 40s. I had no idea of that. He subsequently recorded the song with the John Scott Trotter Orchestra and the Ken Darby Singers and Ferdeca Records in 18 minutes on May 29, 1942, and it was released on July 30th as part of an album of six 78 RPM discs from the musical film Holiday Inn. It's interesting here, I didn't really know this, but White Christmas, it sounds like really kind of broke some doors down for Christmas music in general. It says here, before 1942, Christmas songs and films had come out sporadically and many were popular. However, the pop culture industry had really not viewed the themes of them of like centered on a Christmas holiday like as a unique market until after the success of White Christmas and the film where it appeared, Holiday Inn. So here it talks about White Christmas saying that it changed Christmas music forever, both by revealing the huge potential for Christmas songs and by establishing the themes of home and nostalgia that would run through Christmas music evermore. So this this was your Trailblazer song. This is something I really did not know about this. Uh, as far as the charting of it, uh, here we go. The song initially performed poorly and was overshadowed by Holiday Inn's first hit song, Be Careful, It's My Heart. By the end of October 1942, White Christmas topped the Your Hit Parade chart. It remained in that position until well into the new year. It has often been noted that the mix of melancholy, just like the ones I used to know, with comforting images of home where the treetops glisten, resonated especially strong, strongly with listeners during World War II. The Armed Forces Network was flooded with requests for the song. The recording is noted for Crosby's whistling during the second chorus. In 1942 alone, Crosby's recording spent 11 weeks on top of the Billboard charts. The original version also hit number one on the Harlem Hit Parade for three weeks. The song also topped the following weekly charts in the same year, songs with most radio plugs, national record sales, national, national sheet music sales, Crosby's first ever appearance on the black-oriented chart, Re-released by Decca, the single returned to the number one spot during the holiday seasons of 1945 and 1946 on the chart dated January 4th, 1947, thus becoming the only single with three separate runs at the top of the U.S. charts. The recording became a chart perennial, reappearing annually on the pop chart 20 times before Billboard magazine created a distinct Christmas chart for seasonal releases. So that's interesting. So this song actually was kind of a trailblazer for getting, you know, like Christmas songs to have their own charts. That's very cool. I did not know that that's how far that went back to. Because I knew there were charts for Christmas music, but I did not know it went that far back. In Holiday Inn, the composition won the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1942, in the film, Crosby sings White Christmas as a duet with actress Marjorie Reynolds 
though her voice was dubbed by Martha Mears. This now familiar scene was not the movie maker's initial plan. In the script as originally conceived, Reynolds, not Crosby, would sing the song. The song would feature in another Crosby film, the 1954 musical White Christmas, which became the highest-grossing film of 1954. Crosby made yet another studio recording of the song accompanied by Joseph Lilly's orchestra and chorus for the film's soundtrack album. According to Crosby's nephew, Howard Crosby, I once asked Uncle Bing, this is what he had to say, I once asked Uncle Bing about the most difficult thing he ever had to do during his entertainment career. He said in December 1944, he was in a USO show with Bob Hope and the Andrews sisters. They did an outdoor show in northern France. He had to stand there and sing White Christmas with 100,000 GIs and tears without breaking down himself. Of course, a lot of those boys were killed in the Battle of the Bulge a few days later. Wow. That's pretty powerful there. The version most often heard today on the radio during the Christmas season is the 1947 re-recording. The 1942 master was damaged due to frequent use. That's incredible. It was The master was damaged because it was used so frequently. My goodness, that's amazing. Crosby re-recorded the track on March 19, 1947, accompanied again by the Trotter Orchestra and the Darby Singers with every effort made to re reproduce the original recording session. The re-recording is recognizable by the, addition of, by the addition of flutes and celesta in the beginning. According to Crosby's nephew, Howard Crosby, I once asked Uncle Bing, this is what he had to say, I once asked Uncle Bing about the most difficult thing he ever had to do during his entertainment career. He said in December 1944, he was in a USO show with Bob Hope and the Andrews sisters. They did an outdoor show in northern France. He had to stand there and sing White Christmas with 100,000 GIs and tears without breaking down himself. Of course, a lot of those boys were killed in the Battle of the Bulge a few days later. Wow. That's pretty powerful there. The version most often heard today on the radio during the Christmas season is the 1947 re-recording. The 1942 master was damaged due to frequent use. That's incredible. It was The master was damaged because it was used so frequently. My goodness, that's amazing. Crosby re-recorded the track on March 19, 1947, accompanied again by the Trotter Orchestra and the Darby Singers with every effort made to re reproduce the original recording session. The re-recording is recognizable by the, addition of, by the addition of flutes and celesta in the beginning. Crosby dismissed the, his role in the song's success, saying later that a jackdaw and a cleft palate could have sung it successfully. So that is very interesting. That is a lot of information I did not know about that. So this was really the trailblazer. And, I mean, you always knew this song was huge. I mean, it's, it speaks for itself. But this is a lot of backstory that I really did not know on the song that you know, this was really the song that put Christmas music more into pop culture and made it to where it was more acceptable in pop culture on a yearly basis, you know, and also, you know, Billboard made Christmas charts for because of this song appearing on their pop charts every every year. So that is pretty amazing there. So that's what I've got for number 13. Number 12, I'm going to jump right into another classic, and that's Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives. So here's what we've got with it. 
Have a Holly Jolly Christmas is a Christmas album by American folk singer Burl Ives. It was first released by Decca Records in October of 1965 when it was recorded in November of 1964. For two of the songs on the album, A Holly Jolly Christmas and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Ives had recorded them previously for the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer soundtrack. However, he did not use those recordings. Instead, he used newly recorded versions. For A Holly Jolly Christmas in particular, he used a significantly different and slower arrangement, which is the one that is most commonly heard today. This version had already been released as a single the previous year with a B-side of, of Snow for Johnny, which he had also featured on the album. So number 11, we're going to jump more up into a closer to modern era. We're going to jump back to the 90s. Number 11, I've got All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. If you don't know this song, my goodness, this is one I was talking about that is just everywhere. It's like this this album, it came out in 1994. I looked it up. The release date of the album was October 28th, 1994. I probably had it that week. <laughs> I don't know. If I didn't have it that week, I had it probably asked for it for Christmas. I don't remember uh, it was a long time ago, but uh, goodness, I listened to this album so much in that era. Um, I think now it's just like you hear the song so much, and like the other night I heard it on a commercial, and I just thought, my goodness, this song is just an absolute monster <laughs> of a song. You know, I mean, it is everywhere. And I kind I keep thinking back at the time, like, did we realize that it was going to be that monster of a hit? when that thing was released. And I mean, it was big at the time. It was on VH1, MTV. There was a music video for it. It played all the time. The album itself is really good too. There's a lot of good songs on that album. Um, yeah, I played that song a ton. It's like my friends were playing it. Um, yeah, it was released. This was also Mariah Carey's fourth studio album. It's her first holiday album. It's released by Columbia Records. So as far as chart performance in the United States in the first week of January 1995, the song peaked at number 6 on the Billboard Hot Adult Contemporary and number 12 on the Hot 100 Airplay charts. Uh, the song placed on these two charts again in December 1995 and in December 1996. So it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. You know, we get around Christmas time. And the song, the song starts popping back up again. It starts climbing up the charts because of how popular it is. The song was ineligible for inclusion on the Billboard Hot 100 during its original release because it was not released commercially as a single in any physical format. This rule lapsed in 1998, however, allowing the song to chart on the Billboard Top 100, peaking at number 83 in January of 2000. The song topped the Billboard Hot Digital Songs chart in December 2005, but it was unable to attain a new peak on the Billboard Top one, Hot 100 because it was considered a recurrent single and thus ineligible for chart re-entry. So every, and it says here, every December from 2005 to 2008, the song topped the Billboard Hot 100 recurrence chart in 2012, after the recurrent rule was revised to allow all songs in the top 50 onto the Billboard Hot 100 chart, the single re-entered the chart at number 29, peaked at number 21 for the week ending January 5th, 2013. In December 2017, the song reached number 9 on the Billboard Hot 100, 
giving Carrie her 28th top 10 song in the country and her first since Obsessed in 2009. All I Want for Christmas is You subsequently rose to number three on the chart dated January 5th, 2019, becoming the second holiday track to reach its top five after the Chipmunk song peaked at number one in 1958. Wow, that's pretty incredible. It returned to its number three Hot 100 peak on the chart dated December 14th, 2019. So on the chart dated December 21st, 2019, top the what top Top the Hot 100 for the first time in the United States with 45.6 million streams and 27,000 digital sales sold. Uh, yeah, I mean, this song's a hit. I mean, we know this. It was a hit right out of the gate. Like I said, everybody loved the song. Uh, I wore this CD out around that time. When it became Christmas time, that was one of the first things that went into my CD player <laughs> was this song. So now we're going to jump into the top 10. This song here is a song that's probably going to be off a lot of everybody's radars. Because I don't think, and this is kind of a song that wasn't, it's kind of like those movies that you talk about where it's it's a Christmas movie, but it's not a Christmas movie. This is kind of one of those songs where it's kind of debated on whether it's a Christmas song. I don't think it was originally intended to be a Christmas song from what I've heard, but the lyrics in it and then the video that was produced gave it a Christmas song feel, you know, and basically made it a Christmas song. That is 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders. This is a song that is written and released by the was written and released by The Pretenders in 1983. I didn't realize that song was that old, actually as a preceding single to their 1984 album, Learning to Crawl. It was most popular in the UK where it peaked at number 15 on the UK singles chart in, 19, in December 1983. In the US, it was released as the B-side of both a 7-inch single and 12-inch single remix of the band's hit, Middle of the Road. Yeah, this song was a song that I found mid-90s, and this is going to be... Oh, completely random TV reference. If you know anything about me, I tie so many songs to TV shows and movies. If I hear a song on the radio, there's so many times where I'll tie it to a scene from a TV show, a scene from a movie, something like that. And I'm also one of those people that cannot stand music changes on TV shows to where they don't have the clearance and they replace music in shows, drives me crazy. I understand it. Obviously, I completely understand it because that's a whole different animal when you try to get into music rights and the money that goes into uh, trying to get the rights for everything. Um, this song was featured in an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. I believe it was this 93 or 90, maybe it was 94. I think it was 94. Um, it was featured in at the end of the Christmas episode that they did to where uh, Steve Sanders was going to, he was getting on a bus. He, was, he had found out he was adopted and he wanted to go and find out more about his birth mother. And this song plays as he's getting on the bus and all the gangs gathered around outside the bus, you know, supporting him and watching him as he drives away. 
And this song was just perfect for that scene. And once I heard that song, it really just clicked in my brain from there. And, of course, every time I'd hear it on radio, after that, I'd always tie it to that episode. I'm curious to know if that song is in any of the streaming versions of 90210 on Pluto or on All Access, CBS All Access or anything like that. I'm curious to know if they've replaced it. I bet they have. I don't know. Because um, I hear some of these reruns of 90210. Um, I'm noticing some songs are there and some aren't. So you just kind of never know. But yeah, this it's just a very, just an awesome sounding song. I just, I've always loved it. I love the sound of it. It's just a very laid back, just feel good song. You know, I mean, as far as just the sound of it and everything, you know, it's kind of a sad song, really. I mean, as far as the lyrics go. Uh, but the sound of it, I just, I love the sound of it. It's just, ever since I heard it in that episode, it's always clicked with me. Jumping to number nine, we're going to jump to the end of my timeline. I said I was going to go 2000 and earlier. This is the song from 2000. This is Christmas Time by Christina Aguilera. Uh, this was from her first Christmas album. Actually, it's maybe her only Christmas album. I don't know if she's come up with that, come out with another one since then. Uh, My Kind of Christmas was her third studio album. First, well, it says first Christmas album. I need some. I need to look that up and see if there's actually been another one. Um, it's released on October 24th, 2000 by RCA Records. It's recorded from late 1999 to mid-2000 while she was touring to promote her first two albums. It debuted at number 38 on the Billboard 200, later climbed to number 28, which was its peak. It eventually peaked atop the Billboard Holiday Albums chart. Due to its chart success, the Recording Industry Association of America certified the album Platinum, having sold more than a million copies. So yeah, this song, I really love this song. This is one of my more favorites of the modern, kind of from like 2000 up. This uh, this song here definitely ranks high, and it reminds me of being with my friends you know, around this time when this song was popular and everything, and uh, listening to this album. I really love this album. This Year was another awesome song on that. These Are the Special Times. I really like that song on this album. So yeah, this was, uh, this was a really good album. I really enjoyed it, and I played it a lot in that era. But yeah, I love that song. And I was actually trying to pick out, it's like, what's my favorite song on that album? And that's the one that I nailed, which was Christmas Time. I really love that one. At number eight, I have Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, 1224 by Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with anything. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, they're incredible. I think they would be incredible to see in a... In person in concert uh, I mean every year you get you hear their music it's always everywhere and this is usually the song you hear the most I don't know there's there's others of theirs you usually hear too this one's my favorite I really enjoy this one it's uh, 1995 was when it was released as far as chart wise on the week ending January 6 1996 it both debuted and peaked at number 34 on Billboard's Hot Adult Contemporary Track Chart as of November 25th 2016 total sales of the digital track stand at 1,300,000 downloads according to Nielsen SoundScan 
placing it third on the list of all-time best-selling Christmas holiday singles in SoundScan history. So yeah, I mean, this song speaks for itself. It's it's awesome. Number seven, I'm going to jump over to a song that is, I don't know, it's kind of a balance of like a Christmas song and, and a war song, you know? So when with me saying that, you probably know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go Happy Christmas War is Over with John Lennon and Yoko Ono. This was released in 1971 as a single by John and Yoko Ono with the Harlem Community Choir. Uh, seventh single released by Lennon outside his work with the Beatles. The song released... The song reached number four in the UK, where its release was delayed until November 1972 and has periodically reemerged on the UK singles chart, most notably after Lennon's passing in December of 1980 when it peaked at number two. In a UK wide poll in December 2012, it was voted 10th on the ITV television special, The Nation's Favorite Christmas Song. This song was also, it was a protest song against the Vietnam War originally. Happy Christmas War is Over since, has since become a Christmas standard, frequently recorded by other artists, appearing on compilation albums of seasonal music and named in polls as a holiday favorite. Apple Records released Happy Christmas War is Over and Listen, the Snow is Falling in America on December 1st, 1971. Issued in 7-inch single format on transparent green vinyl with a cardstock picture sleeve, the pressing bore two label variations, one of which displayed a, se a sequence of five images that showed Lennon's face transforming into Ono's. This sequence was originally featured on the reverse cover of the exhibition catalog for Ono's career retrospective, This Is Not Here, presented in October of 1971 at the Everson Museum of Art in Syracuse, New York. A dispute between music publisher Northern Songs and Lennon over publishing rights delayed the release of Happy Christmas War is Over in the UK until November 24, 1972. The initial British run was issued in 7-inch single format on opaque green vinyl with the picture sleeve and variant label that sold out quickly and had to be repressed on standard black vinyl. On its U.S. single debut in 1971, the song did not meet with much success. This was due to the single's late release, which resulted in limited airplay before Christmas and a lack of promotion. The single peaked at number 36 on the Cashbox Top 100 singles and number 28 on the Record World singles chart and number 3 on the Billboard Christmas singles chart. The, Chris the single subsequently reappeared on the, on the Billboard Christmas charts in 1972, 1983, 1984, and 1985. The song appeared at number 32 on the Billboard Hot Adult Contemporary chart for the week ending January 6, 1996. Happy Christmas War is Over enjoyed immediate success in Britain when issued there in November of 1972. The song peaked at number 4 on the UK singles chart and number 10 on the listings compiled by Melody Maker. Since then, it has re-entered the UK singles chart nine more times. The most notable of these instances occurred immediately following Lennon's passing on December 8, 1980. The single peaked at number two behind another reissued Lennon single, Imagine, and remained on the chart for nine weeks. So that is, I'm getting all this off Wikipedia, by the way. That's where I'm reading all this in case I didn't make that very clear at the very beginning. Um... 
Yeah, this is one of those songs that just was always, you know, growing up. It was always on radio. It was always on TV. Um, yeah, I mean, this song's been used in countless different things. And it's just always a song that's just always had, like, such a hook, you know, just with the sound of it and everything. And that choir, the Harlem Community Choir singing in the background. And so, yeah, that's, I've got this song at number seven. So number six, I'm going to throw you off a little bit here because number six is actually a song from a movie. The song was not ever actually released that I know of uh, anywhere besides that it was in the movie. And I'm going to pick the theme song from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So one thing interesting as far as facts with this song is uh, this is the only installment of the Vacation film series not to include Lindsey Buckingham's Holiday Road. So this song here was written specifically for Christmas Vacation, and it was written for the movie by the husband and wife songwriting team of Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, and, perfor and performed by Mavis Mavis Staples. I'm going to get that wrong. I'm going to be so sorry if I got that name wrong. Um, so, yeah. Why do I pick this song? Because when I hear the song, it it makes me think of Christmas. It makes me think of Christmas growing up as a kid. Because I still remember uh, when I was a kid, my friends next door, they had HBO. And I remember this was the first time I ever saw that movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, they had HBO, which at the time was like, oh my goodness, you have HBO? That's amazing. And so I remember all of us just piled in this room, and a bunch of us hadn't seen it. Um, some of the adults that were there, they had seen it. So it was, so, uh, it was kind of fun, because now everybody's seen the movie. You know, At the time, it was like I hadn't seen it, and a bunch of you know, my friends my age hadn't seen it either. Whereas some of the adults had seen it, so it was a mix of both. And every single time I hear this song, I can remember everybody in that room watching that movie and me seeing it for the first time and just laughing all the way through it. So this is a song here that whenever I hear it, it just takes me back to that moment of being with my friends as a kid, you know, and us just laughing and enjoying this movie. And it just always tugs on the heartstrings, you know, when I hear it. Because it always puts me back there at that moment. So what do I have for my top five for favorite Christmas songs? I'm going to start at number five with Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms. This is, I'm going to go with the original. I mean, there's countless versions of this over the years that have been uh, been done. Uh, Jingle Bell Rock, American popular Christmas song, first released by Bobby Helms in 1957. It has received frequent airplay in the United States during every Christmas season since then. Jingle Bell Rock was composed by Joseph Carlton Beale and James Ross Booth, although both Helms and session guitarists on the song Hank Garland disputed this. Beale was a Massachusetts-born public relations professional, longtime resident of South Ocean Avenue in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Booth was an American writer in the advertising business. Helms' original version 
charted at number 13 on Billboard's most played C&W by Jockey's chart, a predecessor to the Hot Country Songs chart. It also crossed the pop charts, peaking at number 6 on the Billboard bestsellers and stores chart, and at number 11 on Cashbox Magazine's top 60 on the week ending January 11th, 1958. So what about the authorship controversy? This is kind of interesting to read and something I did not know about. So I'm going to read this off Wikipedia. Helms, as well as session guitarist on the song Hank Garland, both claimed until their deaths that it was they, not Bill or and Booth, who wrote the song. They claimed that the original song by Bill and Booth was called Jingle Bell Hop, and it was given to Helms by a DECA executive to record. This song, according to Helms and Garland, had little to no resemblance to the current song. Helms did not like it, and as a result, they both proceeded to work on it, changing the music, lyrics, and tempo, and also giving it a previously missing bridge. This new song, they claimed, was the one that is known today. However, neither of them received writing credit or subsequent writing royalties. So there is some controversy over the writing of this song and who to give it credit to. It's very interesting. Of course, Jingle Bell Rock, I mean, you hear that in so many different things. That's a song that pops up out of just anywhere. You know, anything you watch, you're going to see that song. And I've always loved that one. That's definitely one of those classic songs that I just really, really love. Number four, Do They Know It's Christmas from Band-Aid. Oh, goodness. If This song here, this was a song that I always remember as a kid. It was always on the radio. This song was always on the radio. Anytime we'd be like, I'd be riding to like, you know, Christmas get-togethers or something. This song was always on the radio. And I mean, that goes all the way up into the 90s, you know, and and beyond. This is a song that's always uh, been around. I've always loved it. It's just, it's just a good song. I just, I've always really liked the song. And this is one of those that when I hear it, it's Christmas, you know, and... Um, so here's some of the details on it. Do They Know It's Christmas is a song written in 1984. It was re- in reaction to television reports of the 1983 through 1985 famine in Ethiopia. It was first recorded in a single day on November 25th, 1984 by Band-Aid, a supergroup put together uh, by Geldof and Yuri. I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry if I got that name wrong too consisting mainly of the biggest British and Irish musical acts at the time, which, yeah, this thing was a who's who of of uh, just talent at that time. You know, he had Sting and Bono was in this, Bananarama, uh, you know, other members of U2. It's just, yeah, there's just so much talent in this thing. Uh, the single was released in the UK on December 3rd, 1984, and aided by considerable publicity and entered the UK singles chart at number one and stayed there for five weeks, becoming the Christmas number one of 1984. The record became the fastest selling single in UK chart history, selling a million copies in the first week alone, which is incredible, and passing three million sales on the last day of 1984. Wow. And becoming the biggest selling single of all time in the UK and it held that title until 1997 when it was overtaken by Elton John's re-release of Candle in the Wind, 1997, which was uh, the tribute that they did to Princess Diana where he re-recorded that version and they released that single, which I also, I do have that CD single, by the way. 
um, UK in a UK-wide poll in December 2012, it was voted sixth on the ITV television special "The Nation's Favorite Christmas Song." The song was also a major success around the world, reaching number one in 13 other countries outside the UK. In the U.S., the single fell short of the top 10 in the Billboard Hot 100 due to a lack of airplay, but it had sold an estimated 2.5 million copies in the U.S. by January 1985. Worldwide, the single had sold 11.7 million copies by 1989. Wow, that's incredible. So yeah, I've always loved this song. It's always been a big Christmas favorite of mine. Number three, we're going to go back classic again. We're going to go back to Brenda Lee with Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is a Christmas song written by Johnny Marks and recorded by Brenda Lee in 1958. Now, when I was researching this, this is, this is some cool stuff that I did not know about the song and about Brenda Lee. Uh, as far as her age when she sang this song, this was very interesting to me. Uh, it was recorded in 1958. It has since been recorded by numerous other music artists. By the song's 50th anniversary in 2008, Lee's original version had sold over 25 million copies with the fourth most digital downloads sold of any Christmas single. Uh, again, it was written by Johnny Marks, who previously penned Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Holly Jolly Christmas. In spite of her mature-sounding voice, Lee recorded the song when she was only 13 years old. That's amazing. I did not know this. I did not know she was 13. That does not sound like a 13-year-old singing that song. In a 2019 interview with a Tennessean, Brenda Lee recalled that she didn't know why Marks wanted her to sing it. I was only 12, and I had, of course, she said she was only 12 at the time. Uh, so I don't know if she got that mixed up or, or whatever. It says here in the interview, she said, I was only 12 and I had not had a lot of success in records, but for some reason he heard me and wanted me to do it, and I did. Although Decca released the single in both 1958 and again in 1959, it did not sell well until Lee became a popular star in 1960. That Christmas holiday season, Lee's Rocking Around the Christmas Tree placed on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for the first time, eventually peaking at number 14. It continued to sell well during subsequent holiday seasons, peaking as high as number three on Billboard's Christmas Singles chart in December 1965. Brenda Lee said it was magic, and I think we all knew it. It took a few years to take off, but once it did, it really did. So yeah, there's some very cool background information on Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. This was worth looking it up just for that information, because <laughs> I did not know that. 13 according to her 12 you know 12 or 13 whichever it was that does not sound like a 12 or 13 year old singing that song that's so crazy so that is very cool yeah i've always loved this song it's just pretty much all the songs on this list for, you know as far as the classic ones uh you're gonna hear them in various movies and tv shows uh number two Christmas, baby, please come home. But which version? I'm going U2. I'm going with the U2 version because I love that U2 version. But I also love the original version. Uh, I believe the original version, if I'm not mistaken, the original version, yeah, the original version was uh, used in the opening credits of Gremlins. 
from from what I remember, which was you know where we get the scenes of Kingston Falls, which a little bit of extra trivia for you in case you didn't know the set of Kingston Falls when you see that opening scene uh, with the credits, that's actually also Hill Valley from Back to the Future. It's the same set. If you look at it, you're going to see the clock tower. So Kingston Falls and Hill Valley are the same. So there's some extra trivia for you in case you did not know that. Um, yeah, I love the U2 version of Baby Please Come Home. Um, the U2 version was, it was on, yes, it was on a very special Christmas compilation in 1987. So the producer of that album basically roamed around to get recordings of, uh, of this song to put on this album. The U2 version was actually recorded in July of 1987 during a sound check in Glasgow, Scotland during their Joshua Tree tour. Uh, Darlene Love provided backing vocals. Darlene Love is was the originator of uh, of Christmas. It's Christmas, baby. Please come home. Uh, and the video, you know, that I remember the video. It was a like a live version of it. I forgot. I looked it up. I don't remember where that was recorded at. It did tell. Uh, but yeah, the producer of the of that album, A Very Special Christmas, just wore himself out trying to get all of this stuff recorded for this album. But I've always loved this U2 version. Uh, that's definitely one of those songs, and like I've said through this list, when I hear that song, it's Christmas. I know, literally, it's Christmas, baby, please come home. But I know it's uh, it's time for that Christmas, uh, Christmas season, you know, and I've always loved this song. But I also love the original, too. The original was always awesome. So what is number one? And this song here, it is uh, Wonderful Christmas Time by, by uh, Paul McCartney. I love that song. I guess it's just, it's just has such a different sound to it. Just the whole start of it. I just, I love the whole music and the whole sound to it. It's just awesome. When I hear that song, that's another one of those songs, like what I was talking about with the Band-Aid song, is I remember, you know, riding around in the car as a kid and that song playing on the radio. You know, driving home from like my grandparents' house you know, and that song's playing on the radio. Uh, you know, I just always remember that. Uh, so as far as information on this song, uh, Paul McCartney recorded this song during the sessions for his solo project, McCartney 2. Following its release as a standalone single in the UK, Wonderful Christmas Time peaked at number six on the UK singles chart the week ending January 5th, 1980. In the United States, the single peaked at number 83 on the Cashbox Top 100 Singles Chart and number 94 on the Record World Singles Chart, but did not chart on the Billboard Hot 100. It's kind of interesting how a lot of these songs that were so popular and some of the biggest Christmas songs that came from the UK just seemed like they just could not chart very high here in the US. It's kind of interesting. 
In December 1984, the single appeared at number 10 for two weeks on Billboard's Christmas Singles Chart. It also reached number 29 on Billboard's Weekly Hot Adult Contemporary Tracks Chart in early of January 1996. Including royalties from cover versions, McCartney makes $400,000 a year from this song. So you could basically just not do anything, and you have a $400,000 paycheck coming in to you from this song. That's incredible. But yeah, that's, uh, that is definitely, that's definitely got to be my favorite Christmas song. That's kind of that one that when it comes on the radio in the car and I hear it for that first time in the Christmas season, I just turn that volume up a little more. You know, it goes up louder. But it's very similar with a lot of these songs. Uh, definitely the U2 song definitely goes up with the volume because it's just such a big like rock tempo version of that song. And so, yeah, I mean, there just there wasn't a lot going on this week. There wasn't much to talk about. So I just thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to make a favorites list of some of my favorite Christmas songs and just use this as an excuse to to uh, talk some Christmas music and look up some fun information because I just started thinking about it that I don't really know a lot of the history of a lot of these songs and uh, just decided I would look it up and I just hit Wikipedia and grabbed some of this information and learned a lot about some of these songs and I hope hope you all did too. hope you all learned some cool fun facts with these songs just like I did. So, yeah, like I said, with the list, it could change at any time. I had a tough time even ranking these songs. I mean, the top five is pretty solid. You know, it's it, that's pretty solid. I don't see that changing. But when you go beyond that, I mean, that can, that can fluctuate. And I could see some songs dropping out, some dropping in, you know, that I didn't have and some I did have. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's all just opinion based on this random day in 2020 of these are the songs I like in this order at this time. So there you go. My top 15 favorite Christmas songs as of this time in 2020. That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope everybody is doing well. Take care. God bless. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Hope you have a great Christmas and an upcoming new year. 